Good morning. We're in Nehemiah chapter 9. If you need a Bible, raise your hand and someone can get one to you. And what I'd like to do here is let's stand together and we're going to read from the last portion of verse 5. It says, stand up and praise the Lord your God who is from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name. And may it be exalted above all blessing and praise. You alone are the Lord. You made the heavens, even the highest heavens, and all their starry hosts, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. You give life to everything, and the multitudes of heaven worship you. Let's pray together. Father, we stand here this morning, even as your children stood before you thousands of years ago, blessing your glorious name, exalting you, Lord, recognizing that you alone have made the heavens, the earth, all that is on it, the seas, all that is in them. Lord, you have given life to everything. Lord, you are life. And it is before you that we come here this morning in need, desiring to receive instruction, reproof, correction, things that will be beneficial to who we are, not only as your children, but as people. And so speak to us, we pray. Lord, may we battle distraction. May we battle our doubts. May we... Go to the mat here this morning for the sake of our souls and the things that you desire to do within us. May we recognize the conflict that is here and may we engage into that conflict to to come out of this time better because of what you can give us. We ask your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can be seated. Last week, we saw in chapter 8 that the people heard the words of the law. For the first time in 50 years, some of them. And as they heard the, the words that were in the law, they became aware of their lack. They became aware of those areas in their lives where they have been disobedient. And they started to to weep and to mourn. And Nehemiah stepped up and he said, you guys, this isn't a time of mourning. This is a time to rejoice. And we spoke of how important it is for us to take this time of awareness when we see the deficiencies in our lives and to recognize that there are opportunities for God to speak and to work. And what an amazing thing it is when you find out from God the areas that you lack. I know it doesn't sound like good news, but what an amazing thing that God would make known to us his ways. And he literally can take our mourning and turn it into dancing, our weeping, and bring it into laughing. And so they had this feast for seven days. 
Again, in following the law, the Feast of Tabernacles, a celebration that they had in remembrance of all the things that God has done for them. And now we're coming to the end of this feast and they're going to continue now reading and studying the scriptures. And in verse 1 of chapter 9, it says, On the 24th day of the same month, the Israelites gathered together, fasting and wearing sackcloth and putting dust on their heads. Those of Israelite descent had separated themselves from all the foreigners. They stood in their places and confessed their sins and the sins of their ancestors. They stood where they were and read from the book of the law of the Lord, their God, for a quarter of the day and spent another quarter in confession and in worshiping the Lord, their God. They're coming back to a place where they're desiring to hear more. They want to know more of what God has for them. And so as they continue for a quarter of the day that they're standing there in their places to hear the book of the law, to read from it, and then another quarter of the day in confession. They separated themselves from the foreigners. One of the things that they had had a problem with, they had given themselves over to the gods of the nations around them. And so they recognize we need to stop. We need to to set ourselves aside for God and what he has. And so they're taking this time to acknowledge God and to confess. I don't know where your mind goes when you hear the word confession. Maybe it's to Catholic upbringing, you know, where you go into the booth and there's the priest, and you confess your sins. I wasn't really raised Catholic, but I went to a Catholic camp once, and I went into the booth because I was curious, you know, <laughs> what do they do? You know, and I got my face pressed up against the thing, and it's like, I see him, I see him in there. <laughs> and I figure if I can see him, he can see me, so I wasn't real quick to divulge much, but I was only like, I don't know, eight years old. I didn't have much to divulge anyway, you know. And so he was asking me, he says, you know, I forget, you know, what are your sins? And like, um, I don't know. Uh, why would I tell you? You know, that kind of thing. But maybe your mind goes there. Maybe the idea of confession goes to, you know, talking about your faults with a friend or a spouse, divulging those things. But the odds are when you hear the word confession, it's not a warm, happy place most of the time. But the reality is that for us to move forward in life, sometimes you have to turn around. Sometimes you have to admit the mistake. Sometimes you have to acknowledge what is wrong so that you can make it right. And we're hesitant to do that. We, we don't like divulging the places where we're wrong. We, we like an image that comes across as being got it all together. And you probably have met people who are never wrong. Even when you know they're wrong, they're never wrong. They make excuses. They, they always say something and they're just never wrong. And whenever I meet someone or see this even in myself, that, you know, you're never wrong, you've always got it right. I know that I'm dealing with someone who's socially and spiritually immature. Because for us to grow up, 
there has to be an acknowledgement, a confession of deficiencies. There has to be an awareness of those areas in our life where we need help. And that's for everyone. That's for all of us. And so while we would be so resistant to confession, it is probably one of the things that moves us forward in a healthy way, probably more than anything else. And we would have to ask, why would we be resistant to something that is good for us? What do we gain by not confessing? What do we lose by not confessing? What detriment do we cause to ourselves by not acknowledging and confessing our faults? The children of Israel had a history of faults. And as they read from the books of the law, they saw them over and over again. In fact, from verses 7 to 37, there's this list of things that they did wrong. And then there's this contrasting list of God and what he did that was merciful in reaching out to them. And so we see this dynamic of what they did and what God did and what they did again and what God did again. And it goes over and over and over again. And I want to quickly go through some of these things because I think it's telling. It's telling of our nature and character, and it's also telling of God's. It gives us insight into not only who we are as human beings, but it gives us insight into who God is that I think is important for us to recognize. And maybe if we see clearly who God is and what he does, maybe it will help us in this area of confession. And so we're going to quickly go through some of these things. You, this is speaking of God. We're going to have the you, which is God, and the they, which is the children of Israel. And so in verse 8, it says, You have kept your promise because you are righteous. In verse 9, it says, You saw the suffering of our ancestors in Egypt. You heard their cry at the Red Sea. Verse 13, you go down, it says, you came down on Mount Sinai. You spoke to them from heaven. You gave them regulations and laws that are just and right and decrees and commands that are good. This is what God has done. He took this nation and he set them aside. And this is what he did for them. He gave them instruction to guide them how to live, to be an example to the nations around them. So what did they do? Well, we see their response in verse 13. They became arrogant and stiff-necked, which is proudful. They did not obey your commands. Verse 17, it says, They refused to listen and failed to remember the miracles you performed among them. Now, before we get a little high-minded here, thinking, yeah, those guys, <laughs> How could they? Well, they can easily be us. How many times do we forget the things that God has done for us? 
the miracles that God has brought in our own lives. How many times do we forget? And so let's be mindful of our condition as we look at them and their condition. goes on and we see that you, verse 17, are a forgiving God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. Therefore, you did not desert them. So even though they neglected God, they forgot his laws, his ways, God did not desert them. Verse 19, you did not abandon them in the wilderness. And again, you probably have these memories of the scriptures, the children of Israel going through the wilderness for those 40 years, complaining, griping, lacking faith. God did not desert them in that time. You gave your good spirit to instruct them. You did not withhold your manna from their mouths and you gave them water for their thirst. Again, God showed up in their lives in spite of the fact that they forgot his miracles. God remained faithful to them. What did they do? Well, in verse 22 also, you gave them kingdoms, nations, allotting to them even the remotest frontiers. And they, how did they respond to God's faithfulness? They were disobedient and rebelled against you. They turned their backs on your law. They killed your prophets who had warned them in order to turn them back to you. They committed awful blasphemies. And so we see this seesaw taking place. God is faithful. They're unfaithful. God allows difficulties, calamity, captivities to come into their lives to bring an awareness that you reap what you sow. You you can't turn your back on God and not have consequences. And, And so they start reaping the consequences of what they do, their rebellion, their they're killing the prophets, they're committing blasphemies. They do these things and what What is God's response even after they do these things? Well, once they confess, God, we've done wrong. God is faithful again. We see then verse 27, God, you delivered them into the hands of their enemies who oppressed them. But when they were oppressed, they cried out to you. There's the confession. From heaven, you heard them. And in your great compassion, you gave them deliverers who rescued them from the hand of their enemies. Once again, we see God is faithful. So what did they do after God is faithful? They, in verse 28, as soon as they were at rest, they again did what was evil in your sight. And you start to think, really? How many times? This has got to be it. This has got to be it. God's forgiven them from the blasphemies, from murdering their prophets, and they continue to do evil in in his sight. That's got to be it, but it's not. Verse 28, and when they cried out to you, again, there's the confession again. You heard from heaven, and in your compassion, you delivered them time after time. I don't know how it came about, but many of us have a picture in our mind that, you know, God, he just cannot be appeased. You, you, 
you want God to answer your prayer and boy, you just have to, you have to fast. You have to be on your knees. You have to be diligent. You have to move God to somehow care about us. And maybe, just maybe, if we're good enough, we can get God to hear us and, and to answer us in our problems. But man, he's so far away and he needs us to really show him that we really care. I remember driving with my brother. We were out in the valley. We were working and we were painting and he had gotten a phone call. This was before cell phones. The phone call came into the superintendent where we were working and said, your wife is going into labor, but it was like two and a half months early and it's serious condition. The baby's in danger. Your wife's in danger. You need to come to the hospital. And so we got in the car and we started going to the hospital. We were out in the valley and we we're going out to Pasadena. And he was driving, the speed limit at that time was 55 miles an hour. And he was driving 55 miles an hour. I'm saying, what are you doing? And he, he said, well, maybe if I drive 55, God will hear and answer our prayer. I want to be obedient so that God will listen. And we have this mentality that I have to please God so that he will not take the life of my wife and my child. I have to, I have to do these things so that God will maybe, just maybe, be moved and answer my prayer. But that's not the picture we see in these passages. What we, we see in these passages is God is always postured towards his people to to try and bring them up to try and help them and we are the ones who are always turning away we are the ones who are always disregarding it's not that we have to do something to get god's approval god is wanting us god is desiring for our good and it is our behavior against him that brings devastation in our lives. But God is still pulling for us. He's still rooting for you even when you commit awful blasphemies. And what's needed isn't to move God What's needed is to move our own hearts. And sometimes that's the most difficult thing, is moving us from this place where we are resistant, where we are proud, we are stiff-necked, we are arrogant, where we don't want to acknowledge. We don't want to confess we want to pretend everything is okay. I think we all do that to some degree. Jesus gave us a beautiful picture of the heart of God in Luke chapter 15 in the story of the prodigal son, and you guys are familiar with that. The, the son wanted his inheritance before his father had passed away. And he went to him and said, Dad, you know, I want my inheritance now. Give it to me. 
So instead of waiting for the father to pass and then him get his inheritance, he was pushy. He got his inheritance. The father gave it to him and he went out and he squandered it. He was partying and it talked about all the things that he did. He was involved just with prostitutes. He was drinking and drunkenness and then he ran out of money. And which is probably when he ran out of friends too. Kind of works that way sometimes. And so he found himself working and feeding pigs, and pretty soon the slop that he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. He says, man, that looks pretty good. And then he came to his senses. It says that he thought, you know, being a servant in my father's house would be better than where I'm at now. Maybe, just maybe, my father will forgive me. Maybe, just maybe, I can go and beg for a place back. And again, we see that attitude of, well, maybe I can move the father's heart to care about me. And then it says that when he was in the distance, which means the father was looking in the distance. When he was in the distance, the father saw him and the father did what was disgraceful in that time to do he ran to him. For a man to run, he had to lift up his cloak and he had to run after that person. And that wasn't something a person of nobility would do. But it says that the father ran and embraced him, hugged him, and kissed him. And you know the story. They killed the calf. They had a party. My son who was dead is now alive. And they celebrated and we see the heart of God postured towards those who are lost. And all it takes sometimes is coming to our senses. All it takes is us saying, you know what? This isn't right. And you see, this is the mature thing to do. This is growing up. This is acknowledging those things. This is allowing us to develop the way we're supposed to develop. When we deny these things, when we are unwilling to come before God time and time again, because we need to do it over and over again, just like the children of Israel did. A lot of times we think, well, I'm a Christian now. I said a prayer. I confessed my sin back in 19 such and such, so now it's all good. No, you probably sinned since then. Just guessing. You've probably needed to confess other things since then. And since then. And what we do is we play it off and we want, no, I don't, I don't, I'm fine, I'm, I'm okay. And we bring detriment to ourselves because we're not honest. We're not honest with ourselves and with God. I remember years ago I was working in construction at a, uh, it was a restaurant in Redlands. I was working as a pipe fitter. We were putting in some fire sprinkler pipe. And the foreman there on the job was just a real jerk. He just yelled at everybody and he was never there. And he was, it was, he was one of those guys who, you know, if I can blame you, I'll blame you. And that way I look good. And so he was always there just criticizing everyone, telling everyone they needed to do more. It's like, I can't do more. This is... I. One person, this is what I have to do. I have to wait for this. And, and, but he would blame 
whatever trade it was, you know, oh, they're holding us up. The fire sprinkler guy's holding us up. Yeah, we can't get anything done. They're not, they don't have enough people on the job. And you'd hear these things and like, that's not the truth. One day, his boss came and he wasn't there. He was at the bar that was there in the shopping area, which he would do a lot. He would go there. And the super comes up to me and he goes, hey, you know, where's Harry? I was like, I don't know. I don't know where he's at. And so he calls him up on his cell phone. And he goes, hey, Harry, how's the job going? Oh, the sprinkler guy's holding us up. You know, this is this. And he's standing right there. And he goes, really? He goes, yeah. They don't even have anyone there today. He's going on and I'm like standing right there. And he says, really? He goes, yeah, they're, they're really messing us up right now. I'm, gonna, I'm making some calls right now. I'm on the job. He goes, really? You're on the job? That's funny because I'm here on the job and I don't see you anywhere. And all of a sudden, Harry comes running out of the bar across the way, you know, this hard hat and his red face, you know, and he comes in there and, you know, and he was like a little puppy with his tail between his legs the whole time, just following the guy. And then next week, we didn't see Harry anymore. We, got, we had a new guy. wanting to blame something else, not willing to take the responsibility, not willing to own what was really going on. And you see, a hard thing to do, but an important thing to do is own what's taking place sometimes in our lives. Turn with me to 1 John chapter 1. Again, a passage that you're familiar with. 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 through 10. It says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive, our, deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Do I need to read that again or is that pretty clear? Everyone got that? If we claim to be without sin, everyone can say amen. Yeah, you guys can clap too. <laughs> if, if we confess our sins, there's that idea again, confessing our sins he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. We see the same picture here that we see in chapter 9 of Nehemiah. He is faithful and just. If we confess, he is faithful and just. The word confess means to say the same thing, to agree so, so what does that look like? It means you know that you're not supposed to love money. Jesus told us you can't serve God and money. But you love money. And so you're deceitful in your business. So you're a little shady in how you do things. You lie and you swindle so that you can have more. You know it's wrong, but you love money and so you do what is wrong. Or maybe you know it's wrong to let evil communication come out of your mouth, but you like to gossip. You like to lie to, to make yourself look better. You know it's wrong, but you love to do it. 
Or, or maybe you know you're not supposed to look at a woman and lust after her, that it's committing adultery in your heart, but you love to do it. And so you look at pornography. You're involved with things you shouldn't. You know what's wrong, but you love to do it. You see, what confession is, is saying, God, I love what is wrong. That's agreeing with God. That's being honest. That's telling it like it is. That's being truthful. God, see this that I'm doing? I, I, I want this, but I know it's wrong. And for some reason, we think that if I admit the truth, God's going to stop loving me. And really, this is what Nehemiah 9 is talking about, God's faithfulness to the nation of Israel. This is what John is talking about. When you confess, when you agree with me what's going on, I'm faithful, I'm just, I will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And so don't pretend you're confessing if you're not admitting. God, I'm sorry, God, I'm sorry for the things I do wrong. And God's saying, like, what? Oh, you know. <laughs> My kids used to have this computer game we bought for them. It was supposed to teach them how to type. You know those games early on? You had these computer games that were going to save the world, you know. And so we had this little game, and like they had to press the right key with the right finger to kill the Martian or something like that. I forget what it was, and so it was this little ABC game. And the whole intent of the game was for you to use the finger they told you to use so that you can get used to how to type. It seemed like a great idea. But you see, my boys specifically, they were more concerned with getting the right score. And so they would sit there like this. One, okay. Dude, they never learned how to type. Because all they cared about was getting a good score. They just wanted to show their brother, I got 100, what'd you get? You only got 80, ha, I won. And so in the attempt to look good, they didn't learn. I think sometimes we are afraid to look at ourselves because we want to look good. But all it does is keep us from moving forward. And how tragic it is that this thing we call church, this Christianity is known for hypocrisy. That people are saying, no, I, I don't want to go there. I don't feel comfortable. They're going to put me down. They, they don't like people like me. Or, you know, I, I can't go there because I'm aware of how I really am. And they're all acting like they're not. And the truth is, they're just like you. They're just like me. They just don't want to be transparent. 
which means we don't like to confess. We don't like to agree and say, God, you know what? I do love the things that are wrong. And so, the people back in Nehemiah chapter 9 going to deal with this once and for all. Verse 38. So they go through this list. Okay, we've heard all these things. In view of all these things that we've heard and seen in our nation's history, we are making a binding agreement, putting it in writing. And our leaders, our Levites, and our priests are affixing their seal to it. That's it. We're going to end this once and for all. We're going to write this down. We're going to sign our names. We're making a contract with God. I will not do this any longer. It sounds so good. It sounds so, all right, they're taking a step. They're finally just dealing with it. And as they write their seal on there and they put their seal, everyone's like, amen, amen, yeah, this is it. They feel better about themselves. In chapter 13, they do it again. I've got bad news and I got good news, and I'll give it to you in that order. The bad news is that no matter how much and how sincere you are about, man, I'm going to live wholeheartedly for God, no matter how much that is in your heart, you can write that down, you can put it, stamp it, you can seal it in blood, Doesn't whatever you want to do, however much you want to do and put that, the truth is you are going to fail again. The truth is, is that paper, it meant nothing. It meant nothing. All that word, we mean it, we mean it. God says it's a piece of paper, it means nothing. Uh-oh. You see, it is the letter of the law that cannot change you. Because God knows that what he really needs is our heart. Isn't it interesting when they tried to tra- trap Jesus... In Matthew chapter 22. And they said, what is the greatest commandment? He didn't say, you shall not covet. He did not say, you shall not lie or bear false witness. He didn't say, you will not commit adultery. That wasn't the greatest commandments. What did he say? He said, you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. This is the greatest commandment. And the second is like it, that you will love your neighbor as yourself. On this rests all the law and the prophets. This everything is todo. That's my Spanish for the day, actually for the year. That's it. Everything rests on this. God is banking everything on love. Everything. Because if he has your heart, he has you. Even when you fail. And here's something I've shared with you before 
and I will share it quite often. You really should write it down and, and remember this. You can know what is the right thing to do. But if you love the wrong thing, you will make the wrong decision. You can know what is right, but if you love what is wrong, you will make the wrong decision. Because we will do what we love. Now, we should be able to look at our lives and truthfully see what it is we love. It's the things we're doing. And confession means, oh God, I love to gossip. Oh God, I, I love pornography. Oh God, I love money. Oh God, I, I love to covet. Oh God, I, I love to envy. Why? Because that's what I'm doing. Oh God, I, I, I am in this condition. Now the good news. God knows. God forgives. He knew you had sin. That's why he said, if you say you don't, you're lying. Confess it. Agree with me. This is what you love. This is what you do. I'll cleanse you from all unrighteousness. You see, what I love about Christianity, what I love about Jesus, is he does what no other belief does. He takes the reality of who we are in our brokenness, in our frailty, in our messed up thinking and living, and says, I can work with that. I'll take that. Do you see you're messed up? Yeah, I do. Do you see how messed up you are? I'm beginning to. Okay, good. I'll take that. No one else does that. No other faith system, belief system, takes the mess of who we are and says, I'll take you just like you are. Everyone else wants you to be better. You have to earn God's approval. Every other belief system says you have to earn your way to God's approval. And, and that goes naturally with how we think. I've got to be good enough. I've got to appease God. I've got to drive 55 miles an hour. I have to make sure I'm doing everything just right so God will have to listen to me. And how good do you have to be to please God? How good can you be that God would say, oh, I'm happy with you? You cannot be good enough. And see, the truth is, there is no other God who has come for you. It is only Jesus who has come for you in your condition, in the mess that we find ourselves in, and says, I can take you right now, right here, in this condition. I will take you. Do you see your condition? I do. Great. We've got a great future ahead of us because I will take what was lost. I will take what was dirty and messed up and I will make it mine. Why? Because I love you. And now I love him 
because he first loved me. And I'm captured by this. It, it consumes me to want to be different. You see, the miracle for me is that I actually want to be a better person. That didn't used to be in my head. I didn't used to care. And as messed up as I am, I want to be better. Why? For you guys? Sorry, no. Because he loves me. I've been captured. I have seen that God has been postured towards me time and time again. He doesn't give up. He doesn't relent. And it's a picture for me of how I am supposed to be. It's a picture for us to understand this is what we believe. This is the the gospel. This is the good news. And maybe it'll help us to confess. To say, you know what? I really like this. I know it's not good and I know I should I know it's bad for me in some ways I hate it but because it's what I do I admit this is really what I love. I love to doubt. I love to criticize. I love to complain. I don't want to. I want to love you. And so I Confess, agree with you, God, this is who I am. And now I'm trusting your faithfulness to cleanse and forgive me for who I am. That's the good news. Don't have to write something on a piece of paper. God's writing it on our hearts. And let's allow him to do that to us this morning. Let's pray. Father, there are times when I think you are tired of me. There are times when I, I get this sense of, I've been here. I've done this before. I've done this one too many times. I've been unfaithful, unbelieving one too many times. You, you've had enough of me. Then I, I read your words and I realize that you are merciful, compassionate, slow to anger, rich in mercy. Your love endures forever. And so I come to a place where I have to confess to you who I really am. And God, it shames me. It makes me shudder when I see how good you are and how I treat you. And, and much like what we read in, in this chapter, Lord, I find myself time and time again doubting, not believing, denying, disgracing the things that are sacred, the things that are important to me. 
But Lord, your love is strong. And it's changing me from the inside out. You are making me, making us to be a people who are genuine, who love you in spite of who we are. God, only you can do that. And so I pray that this morning we would be honest with you and with ourselves of who we are, that we would be sorry enough to want to change. Lord, that we would be honest enough to see clearly the areas of our fault. And Lord, we need to confess to you. It's not a man that we need to go to and get right with. It's first of all with you. And from there, Lord, you can lead and direct us. But this morning, Lord, we pray and desire to be right with you. You give us understanding within our hearts that you would create a clean heart within us. We thank you, God, that you are faithful, you pursue us, that you don't cast us away, that you remember us, that you're like the father looking for the son. And even though we come in stinking like pigs and mud and have squandered the life that you gave us, you embrace us, you clean us, and you celebrate. Again, Lord, take our mourning, turn it into dancing. Take our weeping, turn it into laughing. May we recognize this morning that the God of heaven is on our side. That he has extended his grace towards us through his son Jesus. And that we can receive freely. May we understand and receive these things this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.